This morning we are in Acts 18 and uh, excited for this text in particular because to be honest with you, I'd read Acts 18 before, uh, but I'd never spent as much time as I have this past week in Acts 18. Uh, And I see Acts 18 as uh, a line in the sand uh, type of a moment. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that. I'm sure we all have a moment where a line was drawn in the sand and you had to make a decision. Am I going to go forward? Uh, Is my faith going to propel me just to keep moving forward? Uh, Or you make the decision of, I just can't, I can't go forward any, any further. Um, I think one of the things is I've spent a lot of times in, in times in Acts, I've been really encouraged, inspired uh, by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's a man of conviction, a man of incredible passion, of boldness, of perseverance, of faithfulness. But one of the things that I was reminded of this week is Paul's just a guy. He is just a normal guy. And it's easy for me and maybe for you as well to kind of say, well, he's like super guy. He's like up here at just a totally different level. But I was reminded uh, this week in my study, prayer, and prep, uh, Paul is a normal guy who had a relationship with God. And a lot of the things that you and I struggle with, uh, whether it's either battling things like discouragement or fear, or even battling to do what God wants you to do, uh, in Acts 18, uh, we catch a picture of, you know what, even the Apostle Paul uh, had that moment as well. But in Acts 18, there's that line in the sand. Um, can you think of a moment, uh, whether it was months ago, years ago, decades ago, where it was that, that line in the sand, and you crossed over and you haven't looked back? Uh, I know for me, as I was thinking about this, I, I could point to a few different lines in the sand, as it were. But I remember when I had just graduated the Ohio State University, and I didn't have a job. I had no idea what I was doing. I just had the desire uh, to work with kids specifically, coaching, teaching, something where I could just love on kids. Uh, specifically, I loved middle school and high school students. But I had no opportunities before me uh, in any of those areas. Uh, I just had a desire. And so a friend of mine, a guy who was mentoring me at the time, challenged and said, Michael, you're in a space right now in life where you can do this, so do this well. And he said, take uh, 21 days, and there's nothing magical about 21, 21 days, lock yourself in your basement of your house uh, for a set amount of time, uh, and just sit with God and see what God might say. And so I was like, well, I got nothing else to do. So I spent six hours, uh, started at eight in the morning, got done early afternoon, and then would spend the rest of the day uh, looking for different opportunities, that kind of thing. But for six hours a day, for 21 days, I just sat with God, a Bible and a journal, just as best I can listening. And I had come across a verse in Isaiah 6, and it was a verse that I was very familiar with. Uh, but it was a verse that was a line in the sand moment, and it was this. Um, Isaiah says this, then I heard the Lord asking, Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah responded and said, uh, I said, here I am, send me. And it was that line in the sand for me where I was like, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy that says, God, if you want me to do something, I'll do it. If you want me to go somewhere, I'll go somewhere. If you want me to say something, I'll say something. And I remember coming out of the basement that day, it was mid, uh, halfway through the 21-day journey, and I was just so excited. I was like, I still have no clue what it is, but I remember that line in the sand was drawn. And as I've spent time with Acts 18, uh, I think the Apostle Paul had a very similar moment where 
again, some lines had already been drawn for him, but a new line got drawn that he stepped over. Uh, And I think one of the things that blesses me about the Apostle Paul was just simply this. He was open to the work God wanted to do in his life. He was open uh, to the work that God wanted to do in his life, both through him and in him. And what happens in Acts 18, when Paul arrives in a rather large city, the city of Corinth, uh, what happens in the city that makes it such a line in the sand moment? And uh, we're going to get into it more in greater detail, but my simple answer is just simply this. Uh, Jesus spoke to him. He heard from Jesus, and he heard from Jesus clear as day. And this is the, the two verses. There's lots of verses, lots of that could be said in Acts 18, but I just want to focus on these two verses. Acts 18, verse 9 and 10 says this. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid. I just want you just to sit with that for a moment. You don't tell someone not to be afraid unless they're filled with fear. You don't challenge someone not to be afraid unless they've got fear going on deep and at a heart and soul level. And so Jesus speaks to Paul, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. And here's, here's the big thing that I wanted you to catch today. And I, this is, I'd encourage you to please write this down, but it's, it's simply this, Jesus meets us right where we are and gives us what we need so that we can keep going to where he wants us to be. He did this for Paul. He met Paul exactly where he was. He gave Paul exactly what he needed in order for Paul to keep moving forward, to keep going to the places that Jesus wanted him to be. And I don't claim to know where every single person is is here today and what you might be thinking about, what you might be struggling with, what might you be hurt by, what might you be frustrated by. But as I was praying, my conviction was just simply that Jesus is going to meet you in this place and time today. And he is going to give you exactly what you need to hear in order for you to keep moving into the place that Jesus ultimately wants you to be. Now, I I know this might not be true for every single person, but Um, when life gets either hard or confusing or just both, we tend to get filled with fear uh, rather than just filled with faith. Like when things aren't working like we want them to work or when things are totally going the opposite of what we wanted or when just things are hard, uh, rather than get filled with faith that propels us to keep going forward, what typically happens to not maybe all of us, but a lot of us, is that we just get filled with fear. And in Acts 18, Paul needed to hear these words from Jesus. Paul, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. And as I sat with this and prayed over this, I don't know if this is just for one person here today. And everyone else is just going to be like, well, that was, didn't really connect with me. And I'm okay with that. Because if this is just for one person, I wanted you to hear Jesus saying to you from his word, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. And what's encouraging to me about this is I've just spent time over the years in Scripture. God says this a lot to the people who follow him. Because our natural inclination is not to be just filled with a faith that moves and propels, but 
to easily and quickly and often get filled with fear. Abram, Genesis 15. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid. Abraham, I will protect you and your reward will be great. Joshua, uh, who was uh, to take over leadership for Moses. And by the way, every leader in scripture got this message, whether it was Noah or Abraham or Moses or King David. I'm just picking a few. But God says to Joshua, in the midst of a line in the sand getting drawn, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus says this to his disciples who were filled with fear. They didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus kept talking about his death, and how could that be? And they were just filled with fear. And Jesus says to him in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Uh, The people of God constantly needing to be reminded by God that we do not need to be afraid. And in Acts 18... Paul gets the same message. And I just wonder if there's one or two or three or all of us that the reason that you came this morning uh, was to hear somebody read some scripture to you and at the heart of it was just simply for you to catch the message, do not be afraid. Because the life that God wants you to live is not one that is marked by fear. The life that God has invited you to live is a life that is just fueled by faith, that propels, that moves uh, us forward. Now, Paul traveled where we uh, last saw him. He was in the city of Athens. Uh, And if you remember Athens from last week, uh, it's a smaller city population, about 10,000 people. But uh, we're talking about a city that gave, uh, was home to people like Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates. And so Paul is dialoguing with some incredible philosophers uh, in this great city of Athens. And there were some people who believed his message. There were some people who responded positively. uh, But as the story in Acts 17, there was many who mocked him. There was many who rejected, and the persecution uh, was very similar. And so now Paul is traveling by himself from Athens to the city of Corinth, uh, which is roughly 50 miles west. And as I was thinking about 50 miles, this is about a two-day journey uh, for the Apostle Paul uh, on foot, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, And at least uh, according to uh, Wikipedia, uh, uh, there are roughly uh, 2,000 steps in a mile, okay? So every 2,000 steps you take, you're roughly walking a mile. And if he's roughly 50 miles from Athens to Corinth, he had 100,000 steps that he had to take. And I just had this picture in my head this week as he's walking this long road uh, from Athens to Corinth by himself, one step at a time, 100,000 steps. I can imagine that Paul was reflecting on everything that he had seen, everything that he had already heard, and clearly there were some amazing things that he had seen. Lives changed. But I'm wondering if, as Paul was walking uh, along the way, he was also reflecting on a lot of the scars that he had picked up. Because if you consider what we already know about Paul and his journeys, uh, he's been beaten, he's been flogged, uh, meaning he's he's been whipped, 
Uh, he's been stoned on numerous times, rocks thrown on him, left him for dead. Uh, he's been mocked. He's been persecuted. He's been put in prison. Mobs have attacked him. And I'm just wondering, as he's walking to this city called Corinth, step by step, if he's noticing just the scars that are all over him. And he can recount, well, that one was from a lashing here, and that one was from a rock. And as he's approaching the city of Corinth, and honestly, what you need to know about the city of Corinth is he's coming from Athens, 10,000 people, and he's entering into the largest city he's been in this far, 250,000 people. And the thing that set apart Corinth from any other city uh, was Corinth was the vanity fair of the ancient world. The Aphrodite, Aphrodite, who was known as the sex god, her temple was set up in the heart of Corinth. And every night, 1,000 prostitutes would get together to worship. And you can imagine the worship they were doing every single day. So if Paul, step by step, is recounting and reflecting on certainly good things he's seen, but he's also reflecting on the scars that he has picked up uh, along the way. Can you imagine how the Apostle Paul is feeling as he's entering into this massive city by himself, knowing that the culture of the city uh, is given over to an incredible decadence and sexual depravity? If you're familiar with uh, his letters to uh, the Corinthians, it might make now a little bit more sense when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, I came to you in weakness with great fear and great trembling. Doesn't that make a little bit more sense now? As he's traveling from Athens to Corinth, and he says in all humility, I didn't come to you just in in this massive amount of strength and power. I came to you in weakness. I came to you in great fear, and I came to you in great trembling. So for me, it's hard to imagine the Apostle Paul being afraid of much of anything. And so my question is, what was Paul so fearful of? And I wrote it down in my journal like this, scars from your past have a way of influencing how you approach your present. Scars from your past have a tremendous influence on how you think about what's happening today, what might happen tomorrow. And so as he's approaching this great city, I can only imagine the fear and the trembling coming in. What beating is going to await me in this city? What mockery, what mob is going to attack me here? What court am I going to have to stand in front of again and give another defense? But he says, I approached uh, when I came to you in weakness with great fear and with great trembling. Now, I want you to keep in mind um, that the scars that Paul had, I'm going to say these are the toughest scars to pick up along the way. And what I mean by that is Paul didn't have scars from being stupid and selfish and sinful. It makes sense when we just do dumb things, when we do self-centered things, when we do sinful things, and we pick up the pain that goes along with that, the scars. Okay, that's a self-inflicted. And unfortunately, sometimes people sinning, hurting against us, we pick up scars because of others have sinned against us. But Paul, these weren't scars from him just being sinfully self-centered, self-focused. The scars that he had were the hardest ones to have because they were picked up in direct obedience to God. He kept doing everything that God told him to do, but every time he kept doing everything God told him to do, beatings, persecutions, prison, mobs attacking him, and you have to just wonder, gosh, 
what is the guy's heart and mind right now? I'm doing everything that God wants me to do, but yet every time I do that very thing, I'm getting the tar kicked out of me. You can imagine, and maybe some of you are in that place today, where you feel like, I, I'm trying to be obedient to God and do anything and everything that God wants me to do, but every time I do that, a new scar appears, a new pain appears, a new disappointment, a new letdown. And so for the Apostle Parr, his scars did not reflect sinful, selfish stuff. It reflected a man being obedient to God, and those are hard ones. But like I've already said, and I want you just to hear it again, God met Paul in the place where he was. He met him exactly in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his trembling. And I, I will say this as boldly and confidently, God will meet you in this place today because he knows exactly where you are. He knows what your journey has looked like this far. He knows what the scars you've picked up uh, and that you've been carrying. And Jesus will meet you in this place and speak and give you exactly what you need so you can keep traveling and going to where he wants you to be. This is uh, Acts, just read a few verses in chapter 18, 1 through 3. Then Paul, he left Athens, and he went to Corinth, and he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, uh, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife uh, Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. That happened in roughly 52 AD. Paul lived and worked uh, with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. All right, so let me just stop there. Uh, as I go through the story, I just want to share some things, uh, things that I see as just incredible gifts from God for Paul to just keep going. And one of the first gifts that I see that God gives to Paul, that Jesus gives to Paul, uh, is, is simply this. God raises up the right people at the right time to encourage you to keep walking with him. God raises up the right people at the right time, at just the right time to encourage you, to love you, to bless you, so to encourage you to keep walking uh, with him. Can you imagine how encouraging it would have been for Paul to cross paths with Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife who had just been kicked out of the city uh, where they were from because of their faith? I, I can only imagine Paul was very thankful because he was at this point, he's still by himself. And I just see that's one gift that God gives to Paul in Acts 18 as he raised up Aquila and Priscilla. And can you imagine how encouraging it also was for Aquila and Priscilla to cross paths with the Apostle Paul? And as I've just considered, and I would ask you, can you think of someone in your life that God has raised up at just the right time, at just the right moment to encourage you and to bless you. Because I can think of just so many different people in my life that God has just, and sometimes it's just been a conversation. Sometimes it's been just, I've known this person for a week, and some people I've just known for years. But I wonder if when we think about that question, can you think of someone that God's raised up in your life to encourage you, to bless you, to challenge you, to keep you moving where God wants you to be, if we have a hard time thinking about that person, because a lot of us just kind of live what I would think like this, with our head down. And we're thinking about our story, our situation, our problems, our issues, my fears, that we don't live life with our eyes constantly looking out, kind of just scanning, 
and paying attention to the men and women that God would have cross your paths at just the right time to encourage you. For Paul, at just the right time, this husband-wife team of Aquila and Priscilla uh, gets raised up to be a huge blessing to uh, the Apostle Paul and uh, vice versa. So it might be a minor point, but I wanted to encourage you to pay attention to the people that God allows to cross your path. Pay attention to those people. Because you never have any idea how God might use that person, that individual, that community, as it were, to love you, to keep getting you to where God wants you to be. Uh, As you go on in Acts uh, chapter 18, verse 4 and 6, it says this, Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia. Perfect timing. Because they weren't with him, but now he's rejoined by two friends, two brothers, uh, Timothy and Silas. And it goes on, and after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. And he testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust off his clothes and said, Your blood upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go and preach to the Gentiles. Now, as I consider just those few verses, can you see, can you even hear uh, in Paul just the discouragement and the frustration growing? God, I'm doing what you told me to do, but yet once again, the men and women, the brothers that I love as my fellow Jews, they are just opposing me once again, opposed and insulted once again. And just in... in, um, in the culture of the time, when someone would shake the dust off their clothes, uh, that was their way of symbolically saying, uh, I've done everything that I possibly could for you. Uh, I've been responsible to do what God's told me to do, and I'm moving on. So you can see and hear in Paul the discouragement. But it goes on in verse uh, 7 and 8, uh, and encouragement comes. Uh, verse 7, then he left and went to the home of Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshiped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, uh, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and they were baptized. So my question is, what's another gift that God gives to Paul? And I wrote it down in my journal like this. God uses fruit to encourage present and future faithfulness. Yeah, Paul was opposed. Paul was, again, mocked, as it were, by the men and women that he loved. But what I love is what God does for Paul here again. He uses fruit to encourage present and future faithfulness. In verse 8, it says, Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and they were baptized. And by the way, when I'm talking about using this imagery of fruit, fruit refers to the good things that God is doing in others, in us. And so even though Paul was uh, opposed, as it were, and insulted, God allows him to see, Paul, I'm still at work. I'm still at work. I'm still doing things. I'm still allowing you to see these things. So in Acts 18, this is where it gets really tricky and challenging to me, is God raised up new friends, and God is allowing Paul to see some amazing fruit of lives changed. But it's in verse 9 and 10 that Jesus appears to Paul and says, do not be afraid. So what's happened here that 
Externally, there's great things going on. His friends, new friends, old friends are reacquainted. People are getting baptized. People are coming to faith. Entire households are coming to know the Lord. So what's wrong with Paul? Why is he still filled with fear, as it were, that Jesus has to meet him and say, do not be afraid? And what I am challenged by with this is externally, everything could look great on the outside. Your relationships could be going great. You could see God doing some amazing things around you, with you, through you. And all of that could be happening on the outside, but internally, inside, at a heart and soul level, you could still be filled with fear. And Paul, still, despite seeing all of these different things happening, is still filled with fear, and this is where Jesus meets him exactly in this place. Now, before I walk through that verse again, can you relate it all with that? That, gosh, if I just examine my life from the outside, things are going well. My relationships, by and large, are good. I like where I'm at. I like what's happening in my home. I, I like what's happening in my neighborhood. I'm, I'm content, excited to see what's happening here in this community. But yet, you're still filled with fear. You're still filled with fear that just stirs greater anxiety, greater worry. And you're a paradox to yourself of how could all of this be happening, but at a heart and soul level, I still have so much fear. The one thing that I've learned about fear is that if we do not address our fears, our lives will be marked not by a faith that propels, but by uh, fears that just cause us to go do our own thing. And it's at this moment where Jesus draws a line and says, Paul, uh, you're either going to cross over this line and continue to walk with me in faith, or you're going to stop right here because your fears are going to paralyze you, and you're going to begin to do anything and everything you can just to control your fears uh, as it were. Uh, now, as I've already said, Jesus meets us right where we are, and he gives us what we need, and this is exactly what Paul received from Jesus in verse 9 and 10. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I'm with you, and no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. Don't be afraid. So Jesus met Paul where he was. To Paul's fear, Jesus said, do not be afraid. To Paul's pain, Jesus said, no man will attack you to hurt you. To Paul's loneliness, Jesus said, I'm with you. To Paul's discouragement, Jesus said, do not be silent, for many in this city belong to me. Jesus put the line down and said, Paul, you don't need to be afraid. At a heart and soul level, you do not need to live, be guided by the fears that you have. And this was the invitation, this was the command, this was the challenge that Jesus gave to Paul. And in this moment, Paul has to decide, what are you going to do? Am I going to continue to live my life just filled with fear? Or am I going to cross the line and trust that what Jesus is inviting me into is so much greater than living and trying to manage my fears as it were? We find out very quickly what Paul does. Verse 11 so Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. Now that might not seem like all that much, but to a guy who traveled from city to city to city, not staying in any one place much longer than a month or so, Paul says, all right, 
Jesus, if this is where you want me to be, I will establish some roots actually here in Corinth, and I'm going to stay here for 18 months. That was not the only time he was in Corinth, but for 18 months, this man stayed. And as I was thinking about Paul's decision to cross the line, uh, as it were, and say, I don't want to live a life filled with fear. I want to live a life fueled by faith. Um, I think one of the things that Paul understood, and I don't know if we always understand, is how much our fears actually not only impact us, but impact the men and women around us. And so a question that I would ask for you is, how are your fears not only impacting you, but how are they actually impacting those around you? Because husbands, if you are filled with fear, your wife cannot live under the weight of your fears. And wives, if you are filled with fear, your husbands cannot live under the weight of your fears. Parents, you bring fear into your home where what's guiding you and your marriage and just how you live, your kids are going to feel and have to live in light of the consequences of a mom and dad who chose not to be fueled by faith but be filled with fear. So your fears do not just impact you. They impact anyone and everyone that is around you. Fear, maybe it's causing you to stay when Jesus is saying go. Fear, maybe it's causing you to be silent when Jesus is saying speak. Fear, causing you to grab when Jesus is saying give. Fear, causing you to isolate when Jesus is saying belong. And I I see this one a lot, especially in the church community. Like, I've been hurt by so many people. I just want to do me and Jesus, and that's it. I don't want to let anyone else into my life. And I'm like, well, I understand that your past pains, your past scars are influencing how you think right now, but I just want you to know Jesus wants you to belong to a greater community than just you. But your fears, because you've been hurt before, you've been disappointed before, you've been let down before, is guiding you in how you move forward. Fear is causing you to withdraw when Jesus is saying, come near. So how is your fear not just impacting you, but how is it impacting people uh, around you? Now, I don't believe that the message that we're talking about today was just for Paul. It was for Paul to hear Jesus specifically say, don't be afraid. But I think the message speaks to us 2,000 years later, that you and I need to hear this message, do not be afraid. The question I wanted to uh, just finish with is, how might we draw a line in the sand, as it were, saying today, I'm not moving forward uh, with fear. I'm moving forward with faith. And that might even scare you, that question, because I'm convinced that you could actually leave this place today saying, I'm leaving my fears behind and not picking them up. I really believe that's possible. And that might scare the heck out of you. But I don't believe God actually wants you to leave this space, and I mean this physical space, guided by the fears that have just consumed you. I think Jesus actually wants you to hear, do not be afraid. So if that's the line that Jesus says, do not be afraid, wanted to share with you very quickly some thoughts on what it would look like for us not to live in fear. And the first one is this, uh, trust the grace of Jesus. Trust the grace of Jesus. What's not lost on me in this passage is the picture of Jesus, uh, Jesus' grace given to Paul. And it just says this in verse uh, 9. 
and this, you may have not have picked up on this, but it's huge to me. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul. Isn't that amazing? The voice he needed to hear more than anyone else was the voice of Jesus telling him, Paul, don't be afraid. In that moment, Jesus met Paul exactly where he was. Paul, trust the grace of Jesus. In Paul's weakness, Jesus was gracious to strengthen Paul by speaking to him at just the right time with what he needed to hear. And I think Paul learned a very important lesson here is, you know what? Actually, being weak is okay. Because when I understand my weakness, embrace my weakness, I actually get to see Jesus be gracious to me. He says this later when he writes back to uh, Corinthians in his second letter. Uh, he says, three different times I begged the Lord to take this away. And each time he said, Paul, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Did you catch that again? Each time he said, he, Jesus. Why? Jesus is speaking. Speaking to Paul what he needs. Not to have something taken away, but for Paul to receive what he needed most uh, which was hearing from Jesus and the grace of Jesus. Number two would be this, trust the presence of Jesus. Isn't it interesting how fear has a way of getting your head and your heart to think that you're all alone? It's amazing when you're filled with fear, you just, you just think that it's just you and you're all by yourself. And that's one of the consequences of fear is you feel overwhelmed with the thoughts of, I am just by myself. No one understands, no one cares, and it's just me. Uh, if you're familiar with the story of Corrie ten Boon, who uh, survived the Holocaust, uh, has written some great books, some great journals, um, and one of the things that she said, and I just found this so interesting, but so simple and helpful, she said this in a journal, when a train goes through a tunnel, and gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. And this might sound too oversimplifying something, but when I read that, I was like, she's right. If I'm on a train and I go through a tunnel and it's dark and I don't know how long it's going to be dark and I don't know the twists and curves, I don't request to get off the train. I sit where I am, and I trust that I'm not alone on that train because someone is driving the train exactly where the train needs to go. But yet, when I'm filled with fear, the first thing that I lose is almost my sanity of I'm completely by myself right now. No one knows me. No one knows where I am. No one knows what's happening, and I, I don't, so I'm filled with fear. But what Jesus tells to Paul is trust in the presence of Jesus. Now, this might sound odd, but I don't think Paul was a courageous person. You could look back and say, well, he seemed to be courageous here. He seemed to be courageous there. I don't think Paul was a courageous man. I think Paul was courageous because he was convinced he wasn't alone. I think he was so convinced that wherever he was, he was never alone. And Jesus reminded him of that in Acts. Paul, I'm with you. When you're standing, speaking, I'm with you. You are not alone. The question I wanted to ask is, if you were convinced that in every moment of every day that you were not alone, that Jesus, the creator, the sustainer of all, was with you, do you think that would reshape how you walk through your day? And I mean at a core level, you were convinced that you are not alone. 
that the Spirit of God, Jesus is with you, that there's nowhere where you could go in your day, there's nothing that could happen in your day where you would be separated from him. Do you think if you believe at like a core conviction, don't you think that would change your day just a little bit? So we look at Paul and say, what a courageous man. And I say, no, he was convinced he wasn't alone. And when you're convinced you're not alone, you, you have actually a little bit more joy as you walk through your day. There's a bit more confidence as you walk through your day. There's a bit more curiosity. I mean, if you were convinced that Jesus was with you every moment of every day, every conversation, every interaction, every person, don't you think you would be a little bit curious? Like, well, what's going to happen next? Because if Jesus is really here, I'm either going to act like he was lying or at least kidding when he said he's with me, or if he really is, don't you think the moments will begin to look different with the men and women around you? Paul was convinced when Jesus said, you're not alone, Paul, you're not alone. He crossed the line knowing he wasn't crossing alone. Uh, Number three, trust the plan of Jesus. Paul was clearly having a hard time seeing all that God was going to accomplish in Sin City, in Corinth. But God reminded Paul, consequently us as well, that God is always at work in the places where he has us. Verse 10, for many people in this city belong to me. Paul, don't you look out at this city where you are and start to think to yourself that I'm not here, that I'm not actually at work moving in people's lives. Isn't it easy for us when we don't like where we are, where we don't like what we're doing, to get blind, as it were, to the reality, well, God's got many people around you that he loves, that he knows, that he cares about, and that he's drawing to himself. Knowing that Jesus has a plan that I can trust, one of the things that that does for me is it just allows me to be fully where I am at all times even if I don't like where I am. It allows me to be fully present, fully there, knowing that God is going to accomplish something that I can't see. So if you, don't have, if you have a job that just drives you nuts, can I just suggest that maybe God not only puts you there in this season to, to, uh, to use you to draw other people that might be an obvious one, but maybe a not so obvious one. Maybe God has placed you in this this neighborhood, this, this work environment, or this relationship for the sole purpose, he just wants you to have a front row seat to see all that he can do. Maybe that's just why he's put you there. So you can grow in your testimony of, I didn't see it, but God showed me. Paul, many people in this city belong to me. The fourth and final one would be this, trust the power of Jesus. Now, to be honest with you, I think this is the hardest one for Paul, and this might be the hardest one for you as well, because Jesus uh, said to him specifically, no one will attack and no one will harm you. I don't know, Jesus, I got a lot of scars to prove you wrong. I got a lot of cities that I've been to that would say, I'm getting attacked and I'm getting harmed everywhere I go. Can you imagine how hard it must have been for Paul to hear Jesus say, not this, not this place, not this time. You will not be attacked. You will not be harmed. That one's a hard one to swallow when you look at your body, when you look at your emotions, when you look at just your heart. 
and it's just scars everywhere. But Jesus says, no one's going to harm you. No one's going to attack you. And what I love about what happens towards the middle of Acts, 14, Acts 18 is, uh, would you know it, Paul, faithfully preaching the word, is put on trial. And he's put on trial because he's being accused of blasphemy, basically. And so the, the Jews, the Jewish leaders, bring him to Roman court, hoping that the Romans will put him to death. So do you think in this moment when Paul is now in court, standing, uh, trying to defend himself, can you imagine, Jesus, were you serious? Because now I'm in court, and it doesn't look like what you said is actually going to happen. And I love what happens in Acts 18, verse 14. But just as Paul started to make his defense, uh, Gal Leo turned to Paul's accusers and said, it's kind of like Paul is ready to speak and defend himself, and the one who is overseeing the court says, Paul, I got this. Just stop talking. Because he goes on to say, listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have no reason, I would have a reason to accept your case. But since it's merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. What do you think Paul looked like when he walked out of the courtroom that day? I can only imagine and Paul was smiling from ear to ear, remembering Jesus say, no harm. No harm will come to you here. No one will attack you here. No one will hurt you here. This does not mean it would be free of, of challenge and trials and hard things. But the promise that Jesus made, Jesus fulfilled. Because this is a trial that could have ended poorly, namely with his head cut off. But I love that God uses this Roman officer and says, get this case out of here. Stop wasting my time with this foolishness. Four things. Trusting in the grace of Jesus. Trust the presence of Jesus. Trust the plan of Jesus. And trust the power of Jesus. If uh, you are a follower of Jesus today, meaning you've made that decision to have a relationship with him, but yet you're in a place today that says, I have faith, but I know when I look in the mirror, I'm looking at a man or woman who's just filled with fear. I just, I wanted you to hear today. Not me, but Jesus speaking directly to you. It says, do not be afraid. Let today be the line has been thrown down. And you leave here saying, you know what? I'm going to trust Jesus. He said, I don't need to be afraid. So I'm leaving my fears here. Why? Because he's gracious. Why? Because he's present. Why? Because he has a plan. He has a purpose. And why? Because he's powerful. That's why. And to those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, uh, it is hard to trust that which you do not know. It is hard to experience what I've been talking about from the outside, as it were. And I think if you're here today and you've yet to make that decision but yet you look at your life and you're like, it's filled with fear. Jesus is saying to you, come to me. Put your fears down. And let me show you who I am. Let me show you my grace. Let me show you my presence, my purpose and plan and my power.